welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here with uh, two uh, tubular bros. Uh, <laughs> I'm here with Father Chuck, of course. Father Chuck, hello. Hello. And I'm also here with Matt Wells. Matt Wells, hello. Whoa, that's new. Whoa. I'm never, I'm never the excited one. I figured I'd go for it. <laughs> now oh. that everybody's deaf. Let's now continue. everyone's really excited. Who wants to get this party started? Um, is, this, is, this, is this still on? Is, this, is it working? Is it working? Is, it, is, it, is, that, is that working? Hello. Uh, you're, you're, you're coming through. Could you, could you please stop testing the mic on our podcast? <laughs> it, it does sound a lot better when I do this, though. A lot better. If we if we both leaned in, would it be a little weird? <laughs> yes. This is Ira Glass from This American Life. Whoa, whoa! What happened? <laughs> JP spoke. The room rumbled. <laughs> awesome. Now, does Ira Glass host This American Life? Am I? Do I have my NPR um, host? I. Th- is, is, is it Terry? Is it Terry? This Gross? is Sarah Keenick for Serial Podcast. Um. So, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Masters of Divinity podcast. Oh, yes. Hi. Um, We have decided to talk about missions this week. I have a question for you guys. When we were in college, I think all three of us, to some extent, were in some way, shape, or form involved with overseas mission work, right? Correct. Chuck, I think you, you went to Jamaica a few times, right? And then... The big one in P- when we were at PBA was Thailand. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, so just if we're going to do this, um, I've been to Jamaica three times. I have been to Thailand and um, Honduras and the Holy Land. Okay. I'll just, just hold on. I'm getting your medals right now. I'll be right back. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I figured I, that this would I, come up, Matthew. I don't know why you're getting him medals. I win, but whatever. Uh, it's true. I'm a silver medalist in this one. Uh, you're assuming that I'm bronze? Yes. I don't think I'm medaled. I think, I think I'm, I don't think I'm on the stand. But go ahead, JP. But you, you, you've also done some missions work as well. Yes. Haven't you, Matt? You've been to Haiti, right? Am I right? I have, yes, in high school. Okay, that was nice. Uh, Haiti, mm-hmm. you went to what were the other okay, ones? Okay, here's what it was. I, in high school, I went to Haiti. Yeah. Um, after college, I went to Costa Rica, and my wife and I, um, well, my wife planned, and she and I led PBA's first Amazon missions trip. Neat. Um, do I win points if I say we gave up part of our honeymoon to go? That yeah, I, think I get so. a medal now. Yeah, Do I get a medal. Okay, sure, I medal. Sure, I made it to bronze. Um, no, this is this isn't missions work about competing. <laughs> um, well, it's about being no, a good we, person. I think, which we're I think of, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, excelling it's, at. Yeah, so, it's about, no, it's just you guys are awful. <laughs> um, so we're gonna start with theology and <laughs> let's back this up. Um, no, but for real, I, Haiti, Costa Rica, the Amazon. Those are the missions trips I've done. Cool. And I went to some places. So um, I asked you guys, these things. We, we've all you, done. Did you say I went to some places? <laughs> I, I did go to. Did okay. you lead us into sounding um, like we're bragging and then just move right past yourself? I don't want to. Where have you been? Where have, wanna, you, been, well, where have you been? Boast. I don't want to boast or anything. We're not we're, boasting. We're, uh, but <laughs> I've been to China, Philippines, Malta, uh, Lebanon, and Syria, and uh, England, France, uh, the Netherlands. 
But do those count as mission trips, or are they just trips? No, they're on mission trips. I'm, I'm literally watching your head grow bigger as you're talking. Just, just well, ego. All of, no, just kidding. <laughs> and we're just talking foreign here. We're not talking domestic type stuff, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's some churches think that as soon as you step out of the door, uh, you're on the mission field. That's right. So, that's right. Uh, you know, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't know if that's your philosophy we, or not. We could have a whole interesting discussion about, well, what about when you're inside your own house? Is that not its own form of a mission field? Yeah. What is a mission? What is a mission? Yeah. What is a mission? That, that, is a mission? That's a good question. These are questions that are raised a lot. Uh, you know, when I was in college, I was on the missions planning team, um, which was a, a student organization that uh, helped the mission, the religious department and missions department plan uh, short-term mission trips and also help recruit leaders and, and, and teams for those for those trips. And you specifically, um, in my case, were responsible for the Thailand trip that I did go on. And was that? You were, because you were an MPT at that time. And, yeah. I mean, maybe we were, we had graduated college by the time I went on the trip, but, right, yeah. you know, we went through all the training and stuff while you were still an MPT. And yes. Keelan was the leader of that trip, and you got him involved in that. And That's true. Whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, I basically say all this because we have a lot of uh, experience with this. I would say we're pros yeah uh, to, to a certain extent maybe when it comes to short-term missions you know there is a difference between a short-term and a long-term short-term is under a year long-term is over a year but when we say short-term we really mean like a few weeks maybe a summer right right um but i you know i i bring all this up mostly to ask you guys because this is something that i have been wondering for for quite some time in the past few years or so i've been on a trip in years i've been on a trip since since college and I've been I've been involved at all in missions. I tried to go to China um, after I graduated, but that fell through. Some horrible political stuff happened. My question, though, in today's political climate, uh, especially amongst young millennials, the college age ones who would be our age when we were traveling, are you talking about? Are you talking about woke? <laughs> well, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be inflammatory, but yes, I am talking about our, our, our young woke millennials. Um, um, would would the idea of a short term mission trip, going to a country for a very short, limited amount of time to do whatever work, whether it's uh, teaching English, uh, taking care of orphans, administering uh, drugs, uh, any anything? And then to come back like a week later, two weeks later, or even over summer, um, is that something that is probably a, a little taboo these days? Maybe a little I, problematic in its own way. Like I, I, I hear the term "weekend warrior" a lot, right? And I hear, and I, you, you know, the uh, the Invisible Children organization came under a lot of fire recently, right? Well, and, I mean, and, and rightly so, when you kind of find out the way that they were handling that. I mean, the, this raises some interesting questions for me, and it's stuff that I've kind of struggled with. And I'll tell you, JP, so just to kind of walk through the way missions and the way I've kind of understood it and experienced it has changed. So when I was at my church growing up, my Baptist church growing up, a mission trip was exclusively for the purpose of proselytizing and trying to get people to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That was the point of it. We did teach like vacation Bible schools. We helped out churches that did stuff. But yeah, like we, we helped churches do stuff, but it was all 
under the auspice of trying to get people to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Was the idea. I just say evangelizing because proselytize might confuse some of the people listening. Okay, fine. <laughs> just like, what does that mean? But evangelizing, evangelizing. Okay, well, all right. But yes, I agree 100%. Yeah. Just so, that's the reason I said. Just to put that and then I go to PBA. I go on the PBA trip, and that wasn't really – that was sort of like – PBA was sort of – it's kind of interesting being an evangelical school. It was sort of like, if you do that, that's cool, but it's more of a service-related type thing. And so like when I went to Thailand – I was in the middle of nowhere for three weeks um, on the border of Laos teaching English in um, a Christian village with me and five, uh, four other people, a really small group of us. Um, and then later I went to Honduras, was an Episcopalian, and worked at a girls' orphanage. I mean, I was an Episcopalian while I was at on, in Thailand too, but I was going under PBA's evangelical umbrella. Um, and then Honduras, I went with my Episcopal church and we just worked at a girl's orphanage and painted walls and did stuff like that. And then I, Jerusalem doesn't really count because it was a pilgrimage, not a mission. And we can talk about the differences there in a moment, but, um, but specifically thinking about Thailand, it was a very interesting experience for me because it was at a time where I was noticing that all of the people around me were all the Thai people around me. Cause again, we were the only white people for like probably thousands of miles. I mean, there was just, it was it just us and like a couple other people who were living there that were, that were like like three other people that were there that were white living in the village. Um, but the, all the Thai Christians addressed very Western, Mm -hmm. um, Sunday morning, the music was very Western. It was the same kind of praise and worship type music that we would hear in your, in a fairly typical, you know, Baptist, you know, mega church type situation. Just with Thai lyrics, so it was like guitar, bass, drums. It was Western musical idioms, Western musical style with Thai lyrics, and um, and everything was just very Western looking mm-hmm. when I was in there. And so I started to think about I started to think about the ideas of neo colonialism to use sort of like a, a woke term, cultural appropriation. No, I, I you know I don't know if it was, if I would say cultural appropriation. I mean, unless you would say that the Thai were appropriating our culture, but. Yeah, I guess colonialism works better than. <laughs> yeah, but it was just, if, if, a, if a little extreme, we didn't conquer them. Uh, but yeah, but that's why I say the term neocolonialism because that's a term yeah. that people use to kind of talk about this sort of stuff in the sense that people clear like so the 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 folks who went the the folks who like started this Christian village, they were Thai. They grew up yeah. in Thailand. Many of them, some of them, were born in the U.S. but then came back when they were older. But they came to the United States, they got educated in the United States, and then they went back to Thailand to, to do all this stuff. They did really amazing work. I mean, they worked with to help stop human trafficking problems. I mean, they, they had an orphanage on the site. I mean, they did a lot of really amazing work. Um, but it was clear to me that somewhere along the way, they believed that to be Christian meant they had to be Western. Hmm. Interesting. And they, what, t- they told you this? No, but it was just sort of clear to me that that's what it was Ah. because they – because, again, it was like, well, when you start a church, what's it going to look like? Well, they made it look like an American Baptist church. I mean Mm -hmm. it it just – it just – in the music and everything carried with that. Like it just seemed to me like you don't have some form of like local cultural type situation that you can adapt. Like, you know, it just didn't seem very like – um, there's a term we, we used uh, in seminary is enculturation. It just wasn't enculturated. It didn't feel very Thai. It felt like Americans. It felt like something American translated into the Thai language, right. but not culturally owned by Thai people. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed that to that 
so that the Christianity that they that they brought back with them was a very American Christianity, and this the assumption was that in order to be Christian, you had to act and dress Western, you know, hmm. like American, you know, European type everything. So, right. um, so that I think that's an interesting wrinkle to this whole thing because the flip side of this is. And so it was weird for me because one of the, the books – so I brought like three books with me when I was there. I put everything into one backpack. Um, I traveled as light as I could. And I read one – I brought three books and I read them all. And one of the books is a book called The Jesus Sutras by a guy named Martin Palmer, which is um, – I believe he was an Anglican Christian who discovered these – or rediscovered these um, Buddhist steles that were tr- – um, they were Christian. But it was when Christianity made its way into China in like the 500s. Right. And they – translated the Christian faith into a Taoist Buddhist framework. So like the biggest, the, the biggest standout there is that they don't talk about sin because at the time, because the Buddhists don't have a concept of sin. They have a concept mm-hmm. of karma. So they translated the idea to like Jesus being the person who, that his, his work on the cross and through the tomb was enough, was an act of such good karma that it's able to cover everybody else's, you know, karma and bring and, and in the the cycle of rebirth, which is punishment in Buddhism. Yeah. Um, so it was enough to stop reincarnation and bring you straight to the Father. But they just anyway they translated these Christian ideas into a Buddhist Taoist cultural context, and you know the, the merits of that can be debatable or whatever. But it was this very clear attempt to try to say that like you know the person of Jesus is a particular person. He does this particular work. How do we make it make sense to you in the world you come from? Rather than, all right, now we got to try to get you on board with the idea of sin. Now we have to get you on board with this idea. So rather than trying to sort of force Western or you know Middle Eastern um, philosophical ideas onto the Chinese, the ancient Chinese, instead they um, they just sort of worked with what they had. So it's a really weird juxtaposition for me to read that book in Thailand while watching this other thing go on around me. Right, and so. Um, and so that's one of the that's one of the great challenges I think with the church nowadays is how do we do this mission work in a way that is respectful and honoring of another culture, not trying to sort of transpose our own ideas of what their culture ought to look like, while also just not being like anything goes. And I think that's why a big majority of these short term trips that we were doing, especially I mean mostly at our at our university wasn't just, um, I mean, of course they were focused on, you know, teaching people about the gospel and, and helping, you know, churches help with, uh, their congregations and with, uh, their Christian population. Why it wasn't just preaching, but also some kind of like some humanitarian work. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, that, I mean, yeah. Humanitarian work. Um, I mean, like you, you, you pretty much a lot of your trips, you, you did videography, you filmed what, well, one, yeah, a couple, I mean, yeah, I went on a couple of trips that did that. I also, when I went to China, it was teaching English. Right. Um, although (laughs) China, it's, it's kind of like you had, you just come up with any excuse to, to be there because you can't just go to China. Like I'm a Christian missionary. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it is interesting that both of us went to East Asian countries. Yeah, because I was one of the Philippines. To teach English. <laughs> yeah, well, Philippines was, was actually really interesting. That that Out of all my trips, the Philippines was the most interesting one because it was basically a medical trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not studying any kind of medicine. <laughs> uh, 
I, I was actually the, the leader of that trip, a co-leader, I should say. And um, my other co-leader, she also was not studying medicine at all. And then we had one other dude with us, uh, my friend Paul, also not studying medicine. And then there were like 12 other members on the team, all medical students, or I, I shouldn't say medical, I say pharmacy. Yeah. And so this, the, the, the point of this trip was to distribute medicine and to uh, check people's blood pressure and you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, so, like, I couldn't really partake in that because I'm not studying it. I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I, I handed stuff out, but that's just because they told me what to hand out. But my whole role on that trip, there, there was no kind of, like, aid work to be done or teaching English. Like, I was standing in front of crowds basically you know, reading the Bible and stuff. And when we went to these villages to distribute medicine, me and my co-leader Gabe and Paul were just praying over people. Hmm. That, that was, that was interesting, an, an interesting one because it was like uh, there was no other kind of alternative uh, to serve the people that we were with. It was, it was pretty much, at least for, for three of us, I don't know about the other people. <laughs> I'm sure it was for them too. So yeah, that was interesting. Uh, well, I want to know, Matt, what you think about short-term missions, especially for young people. Is it something that in this day and age it could be seen as something problematic? You know, Chuck has been talking about going to these cultures and trying to introduce Jesus to, to different cultures, but usually what happens is they think that they have to be Western in order to be to to, to be a Christian. Um, are, are, are these trips, I mean— uh, first of all, I think anything that a human being is involved in, involved in is problematic. There's going to there's be <laughs> sides of it that are problematic. Um, right. However, I, I have a question first because I'm interested, and this I think will lead into my answer. But I'm interested, Chuck. You, Father Chuck, you brought up here uh, hmm. um, missions and pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Go. Short. Give me a, give me a, what are What they? was the distinction? Yes. I would say that a... A mission is more about, it's an outwardly focused thing. You are offering something to others, whereas a pilgrimage is an inwardly focused thing. You're, you're on that for primarily for yourself and your spiritual But not walk. a negative primary. Right, yeah, focusing no. Focusing on yourself for good. For good right, yeah, it's a, it's a spiritual growth kind of thing. Here, here's a, why I ask. Short-term missions, I think, is an incredible thing that people should get involved in. I think that we should understand it and be more honest about the fact that it is a better pilgrimage than a missions. Hmm. I think we should call them more of a short-term pilgrimage. I think that there is an amazing thing for a white middle-class male like myself to experience traveling to a third world country and seeing how things like joy and life and Christianity and hope and understanding thrive in the midst of all the nonsense I think is important being absent. Um, they don't need all the crap I think I need for my life to be meaningful. I think that there's a powerful impact to that. Um, and I think that you can go over there and, and do missions work, but I think that we need to understand it more as a pilgrimage because nine times out of 10, I think where those benefit the most is opening, opening the eyes of the person going on the trip to realize how blind we tend to be mm-hmm. throughout our everyday life. Um, how I wake up in the morning and go through my life in America and I might see a homeless person on the side of the road and I think that I have an understanding of things like poverty and suffering. 
Um, and then I go to a third world country where our idea of poverty is a laughable joke to them and understand that they have nothing and right. yet they have more joy than I did when I was the high school kid there. So I think that missions trips are short-term missions is an incredible thing. I would strongly encourage people to go on it. I think that you do you can do great missions related work on a short-term missions trip, but I think that it, understanding it more as sort of a pilgrimage would be a better way of viewing it yeah. because that tends to be how students come back talking about it. It's more of an inner it's, reflective. That's, that's true. And, you know, I, I will say, Matt, we, we've, when I was on the missions planning team, we talked a lot about that idea of, of it being more an experience. And we were actually very cautious that it wasn't that, ex, that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. We wanted to tell people, I mean, we were pretty, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but there are people who were downright militant about letting the kids know this is not about you. Mm-hmm. This is not about your experience. This is not an adventure, even though I totally I was like, no, this is an adventure, guys. Yeah. Well, and that's sorry. Go ahead. Right, I was just going to say, like, I hear that and I and there's a part of me that agrees with it because I think it's an inevitable fact of the trip. And. Yeah, I think you do gain a lot out of it, and that's an important piece of it. But I think the one thing that troubles me in that is there's a term that I've heard that refers to it. They say that we should stop calling them short-term mission trips and call it mission tourism. Um, Interesting. And that it's that what happens is is that we sell it as this idea of, and that the, and that where it becomes problematic um, mm-hmm. is where you take these you know sort of privileged kids, nine times out of ten white. Um, to go into these really poor areas of other countries and it sort of allows kids to reaffirm their privilege, you know? Yes, that is, yes. Um, yeah. and, and I don't then, even know where to begin with that because I've, I've experienced that a lot, especially when I was involved. Right, and, I, and, it, and, that, and, that the, and that it becomes troubling when you go to a culture or you go to another country and their culture just comes, becomes about taking. And then that's when you get into the whole issues of cultural appropriation, which I honestly think is a lot of BS in, in most cases, the, the, the criticism of cultural appropriation. But we can get to that at another time if we want or even later. But I think that I think it's just I think it's one thing to be aware of the fact that it's hard. I think it's hard to talk about in the planning and lead up process of it. Um, I think probably the most important thing in that, because I mean, I know that I, I, I know that I have been enriched through my experiences going to other countries, and so and and in the way that and what what mission trips offer that that few other countries or few like few other op, travel opportunities offer is like you get to be among actual people. You know, my first Jamaica trip, we slept in the living room floor of of this of this guy in um, in Mandeville. Um, you know, and it's, and even to this day when I meet Jamaicans and I tell them where in Jamaica I've been and they found out, they find out that I spent most of my time in places like Mandeville, Christiana, Porras, that I never, that like, I spent very little time at like Montego Bay or Duns River Falls. They're like, oh, like you actually went to real Jamaica. Like they, they becomes this very, yeah. you know, they're not, oh, you're not just some white boy who was on a, cl- on a cruise ship. Like you've actually been to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the fact that I can connect with folks on that level is an amazing opportunity. And so I, you know, I want my kids to experience that. I want, I think a lot of people can really benefit from that. But at the same time, I think we have to be aware and careful of how we, I guess, how we process it when we come back. Because it, you, you know, I, we're all, I'm sure all of us are guilty. We've all had that. Um, there's, there's a, um, what stuff white people like. I think there's a stuff white Christians <laughs> like. 
um, that deals with mission trips. Um, oh, yeah. That's I'm pretty sure. funny. And it um, it, um, it probably has I, nothing to do with wearing bandanas or, and holding a child and taking a picture with it. Yeah, taking stuff. a child with like a, a child. <laughs> and then, like, you know, everyone has that thing where, like, we come back and we're like, you know, life was just so much better over there. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, yeah, no. like you're saying, like, they, you know, they I were just happier. I they had nothing. No, I didn't. I didn't have that though. I was like, <laughs> I was definitely like, man, life is so much better here. The part of it I saw though is how come I'm not happy? Hmm. Is where that's where it hit me. See now, I think and, that's, that's that's where that's that's a good thing. Well, and that's what I and that's what I mean. Like, I don't have a problem with calling it short term missions trips. I'm not here to downplay a short term missions trip. Okay. I think you go over there to do missions work, whether it's humanitarian work or just evangelism or usually a mix of both it's a type of missions work that you're doing so yes it's a short-term missions trip by definition that's what it is your goal like jp was talking about i agree that your goal when you go there is service but i also believe that possibly the better understanding we could have is to view it as a short-term pilgrimage yeah because if you go over there with that mindset you are serving, you are doing missions work, you're giving of yourself, but the ultimate focus is, is it going to impact my life when I come back? Because I'm only there for X number of days, and then I'm back. I'm not living there, I haven't moved there. So when I come back here, what effect does that have? Yeah. And if it doesn't have a real effect, then the trip was meaningless for me. Not right. For, for the people there, no. you still reached a couple needs, but you're there for a week. It's right. like you're... You're there and you're gone. Like we helped in Haiti, we helped build a church, which means we carried cinder blocks and helped them stack them on to build a wall. And yeah, we did hard. I mean, we were working, cutting rebar with a just a saw, the handsaw, cutting hacksaw? through rebar with a hacksaw. Ooh. I mean, we worked our butt off in high school, but ultimately we still only did maybe one or two layers of... of uh, the cinder block around the outside mm-hmm. of the church. Like ultimately mm-hmm. our our lasting impact as far as the building project goes is a joke. Yeah. Um our impact on people spiritually hopefully was better. Hopefully we did a great job of of expressing why we were there and why we wanted to to help them. But the impact they had on me is lifelong. Right. And I feel like that's why I say to view it for the person going, to have an idea of because I feel like there's also the danger of downplaying that. You're going on a short-term yeah. mission trip. This is all about them. Yes and no, because it is only a short-term. Most kids who go on a short-term missions trip have no intention of going into full-time missions. When I'm there, it is all about service. It is about serving them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's all about them in the sense that I'm not allowed to stop and think about what impact this is having on me. Yeah. And well, I feel like if we focused more on that, it would have a longer lasting impact on the student or person who went and, yeah. and changed it. Well, I think, it is, and I think that's the, and I think that's the focus that that's really good because like when you talk about pilgrimage, the language of pilgrimage is great. Cause I know like the purpose of pilgrimage is again, like as I put it in sort of general terms, it's, it's, it's about me going, you know, but what it's ultimately about is, a pilgrimage, you go on a pilgrimage in order to get closer to God, mm-hmm. in order to, you know, in order to have right. an experience of Jesus as a Christian. You know, I went to, I went to the Holy Land to experience the world that was Jesus's world and to walk Jesus's path and all that kind well, of stuff. And so like you tell kids you're going to go to Haiti 
all right, you know, you're going to find, you're going to meet Jesus there. And Jesus is going to be very different than you see him here. Like, that's a good thing. Like, and like you said, you come back and you come away and you're like, I just saw people who have what I would consider next to nothing and they're more content than I am. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Hmm. You know, and I think that's a good kind of thing rather than being like, oh man, they had nothing. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for my McMansion stuff. Yeah. Which, that's which the wrong takeaway. Like, I'm so blessed yeah. to live here. It's like, yeah, that, that's that's great, but that's not the point. Like, right, right, You're right. blessed to be here with a car and to be one of the one third of the world that owns a car. That's not what we're supposed to be feel blessed about. Right. There, there because was the a... truth is, if I have the car and I'm that one third, but I feel empty on the inside, I'm not the one who's blessed. It's the person who has nothing but has contentment. Right. That has yeah. blessing. I um, there was a. Uh... A team that came back from that we sent to Africa. They came back. I forgot where in Africa. I think it might have been Rwanda. Um, when they came back, they apparently they, they apparently some of the kids are on that team. Sometimes we check up on them. And, you know, we go to school with them, so whatever. Some kids in that team were um, so affected by living in these small villages in Africa that when they came home, they refused to like use electricity over the summer. Like they didn't, they didn't like having lights on. They didn't like having the AC on. Um, it's kind of interesting, but that, yeah, that's, that's a kind of impact. It's, it's a very powerful impact. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to talk a lot about the Philippines because I think that was the most spiritually impactful trip for me because that was a team that a, I was responsible for and B it was my, it was one where like I had no excuse, but to just focus on talking about Jesus and Christianity. Um, other ones was about English, teaching English or, or doing videography or whatever. Uh, so, but when I was in the Philippines, you're talking about how you realize, you know, how much you have, how much they don't have. You know, when I got to the Philippines, the one thing that really struck me was that the people that I was around, they literally had like nothing. And it struck me because, because I knew that it wasn't going to get better for them. That's the point I'm trying to get to yeah. because we went we went to villages, you know, like really small, like crappy. These were not exotic, beautiful locations. They were one village was literally in mud and uh, wow. they lived in mud. And w- how is it ever going to get better for them? That, that That's what I kept asking myself. Like, why am I here? I'm going to be here for about seven more days. What impact am I going to be like? Why am I here? You know, of course, yes, these other kids are here and they're handing out medication and stuff and checking blood pressure. That's great, at least for now. But when we when we go, when we leave, what's going to happen? You know, they got a few days of, of some le- of levity. Great. Whatever. So and that 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 really, really wore down on me. And I, I guess at the time I, I had found a um, a verse in the Bible that I was. It was kind of my mantra throughout the trip, which was, um, oh, you guys probably know. I don't know Bible verses anymore. Philippians something, something about about finding the secret of being content. I, I know what it's like to have everything. I know what it's like to have nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Philippians. Yeah, yeah, it's Paul when Paul's talking about having, like. It's Philippians 4. I'm going to forget the reference, but I think it's 17. <laughs> or so. I wrote, I had to write a. Not this isn't bragging; it just fit too perfectly. I had to write a twenty-page paper 
on like a five, no, I think it was a 10 verse passage. And that was it. The, I found the way to be content with, I can live with much or yes. live with little and found content. And that's yeah. a amazing lesson to talk about, uh, the, what, what he was, who he was talking to and Stoics and philosophy. And right. it's very cool, but it's, um, yeah. It's where he says, I've learned the secret. He says, I've learned the secret to be content with much or little. And he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. Um, and that's the verse we take out of context. It's amazing in context. Yeah. So I, well, was, I was very glad in the done. Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you were always concerned but had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Still, you have done well to share my distress. That's, can, I, can I give a little bit of a sermon here really quick? Sure, go ahead. Leave that open. The, the, uh, I, can, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. That's the one that uh, some translations say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is a verse we love to take out of context. And we love to use right. as like, I can achieve anything because I can it's do a, all it's things. It's a very cliche Christ. verse amongst right. evangelicals. Yeah. 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 What I love about this passage, first of all, Philippians is a, it's a thank you letter. Think of it as like you support a missionary and they send a letter back to your church and update saying mm-hmm. how things are going and thank you for the gift. Um, that's basically what the book of Philippians is. What's oh. interesting about that is the passage he just read is the very end of Philippians. So you read the entire book, and then he's finally like, I'm very glad that you shown concern for me again and that you've partnered with me. Um, some translations say you partnered with me from the beginning, and basically even though I told you not to, you still sent me stuff. What's interesting is... Um, a lot of scholars believe that Paul kind of had a, a is trepidation the right word of saying thank you for receiving the gift because he didn't want people to think that getting gifts was why he was doing what he was doing, um, which is why he was a tent maker and mm. didn't want to accept money from a lot of people because back then there was people who thought like today, oh, you just became a pastor for the, for the tithing and the tax exemption. Um, and he wanted to make sure he's outside that. But this church cared, and this church in Philippi cared so much that they were supporting him anyway. So he waits till the end to say thank you. And then he addresses the Stoic philosophers who would have been big in Philippi. And Stoics were all about um, self and how I am all I need to accomplish everything in life. Like the height of understanding and the height of spiritual enlightenment is to be self-sustaining, to be completely independent. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. To be completely self-sufficient. And they proved that by living with as little as possible so that they could basically be kind of bragging, like I have nothing Mm. and look how good I'm doing. So Paul in a letter that would have been read out loud, um, Paul is writing to these people and saying, um, I've learned how to live with a lot and how to live with little. It doesn't matter if I have a little, doesn't matter if I have a lot. That's not the issue, which is great because in America, we could learn a lot about how to live properly with a lot. Um, he said, the issue isn't whether you have a lot of stuff or a little or nothing. 
it's not, I have lots of stuff, so look at me, I'm awesome, or I have nothing but can still live, so look at me, I'm awesome. He says, I've learned the secret, and you could totally see people, like this guy has the secret to everything. I picture everyone kind of like, I picture all the Stoics in the audience kind of moving to the edge of their seat and leaning in. He's like, hey, 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 you want to hear a secret? I know the secret, how to be content and to live and be thriving with a lot of things or little things. You want to know the secret to what you're looking for? And they're thinking it's going to be self-sufficiency. And he says, I can do all things because Christ gives me strength. So he takes all their ideas and flips them completely upside down. But the secret is only to totally turn everything over to the one who gives me strength, and that's Christ. So are you saying I was using it out of context? Did I lead an entire congregation astray with my... <laughs> Could you... <laughs> when, when, we go, when we edit this, JT, can you add, like, organ, like, organ hits and stuff <laughs> behind him talking and, like, a crowd saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was saying, uh, as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about um, a conversation that um, Father Fun and I have had off and on recently. We've talked, um, we talk about, um, we've talked a little bit about works righteousness, um, the idea of people trying to earn their salvation. And one of the things that we've noted is how many people sort of like love to advert, how many people on social media and stuff love to advertise their, their sort of like really fake suffering, you know, like it's, you know, you, you typically think of people that are like, oh, you know, like, you know, at church we had, you know, 50 baptisms this Sunday and, you know, and I make sure that, you know, I pray like every day and, you know, like there's that kind of, you know, fairly typical hypocritical stuff that Jesus talks about. There's like showy religion stuff. But then there is this sort of more subversive showy religion where people sort of, they talk about how much suffering they do, how much, you know, whatever, but it's really all the same thing. And I, because like listening to you talk about like the way that the, the and to me that's like that that self sufficiency aspect of the Stoics. It's not it's not so much like I'm li- I'm living with less because I feel like living with less brings me closer to God. It's like I'm living with less because it makes me a better person and it it's, makes me better than you. It's more like for a Christian, it's more like I'm living with less to prove how much closer I am to God. Yeah, and that's totally the wrong thing. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, I know we've kind of gotten a little off topic with this, but like I think it's the same kind of thing with this mission with the mission stuff is it can it, you know just like I mean Paul Paul's great because Paul talks about the law in Romans and he talks about how like sin you know the the, the insidiousness of sin and the masterfulness of sin is how sin can you know, look at something good and seize an opportunity to twist it for something bad. You know, he says, you know, sin sees an opportunity and, you know, because the law says don't, don't covet, now I covet everything, you know. That same kind of idea of like, here's this really great opportunity for you to experience people that are very different from you, a life that's very different from yours. And the takeaway very well could be and ought to be thinking like, look, these, you know, these people may have more contentment in their life than I have and I'm surrounded by everything. I mean, there was an essay even just recently about, it was passed around the internet about how, you know, how people are unhappy in the modern world and all this kind of stuff. That there, there seems to be that the more stuff, wealth, affluence of your culture around you is, the, unha- the, the, the depression increases. Anyway, so that that's one takeaway. The other could just be that this is affirming and you can say things like, you know, like you can come back and not to criticize the Rwandans, but the, the kids who got to Rwanda, but I want to use them as an example. Like, you could very easily see some kids who come back from Rwanda and they're like, you know, I really don't need this power. 
and that's awesome. So they're like, I don't need, I don't need electricity. I can live fine without it. Okay, turn it off. You know, whatever. Or you can see people being like, I don't live with electricity. <laughs> you know, and therefore, and like they use that as a way of saying like, oh well, I'm I'm a better Christian than you, because oh yeah. And so like that's the that's the kind that's the, that's the complicated way to get to the point I was trying to make there. And this is something that Patrick and I, the Father Fun and I, have talked about lately that it baffles us and it disheartens us. I think both of us would say that it does, especially when we see you know otherwise really good Christians falling into that trap. Yeah, it's it's a you know it's it's kind of a perfect formula for disaster in a way it's a great thing and i'm glad i did it but it's also it's a formula for disaster for for someone young and impressionable to travel somewhere so outside their comfort zone and then to be ripped right out of it back into the land of the living i uh, from i know how it affected me i was driving a convertible at the time oh yeah <laughs> and and uh uh I, I I was asked many times to help with some volunteer stuff, uh, mostly with working with like uh, homeless people, homeless kids, and there were times where I flat out said I don't I don't want to because I was too embarrassed to show up in my car. Right, you know I it's funny you talk about this. I, I work so the church I worked at in Washington when I was in seminary was Church of the Epiphany in Washington D.C., which is. Um, about 75 to 80% of the congregation's homeless. So like that's like a big part of their ministry. Uh, the church there is, is, is homeless ministry. And I remember showing up like I, every morning, every morning on Sundays, I had a struggle of what my outfit would be because yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't want to be dressed too nice <laughs> that I would be like off putting. Yeah. But I didn't want to dress too poor. Like I was trying to like pretend <laughs> that I was poor with them, you know? So like there was always a struggle trying to hit that sweet spot, but then you know I had a conversation with folks. So that was a big part of the ministry. There was not only do you like spoon food to people, but you also grab a cup of coffee, grab a plate of food, and sit down and eat with them and just chat with folks. And um, one of the things I learned was a pretty general consensus of like, look, man, I like, I, I if I had nice clothes, I'd wear them. Like I wish I had them. You should wear them too. You know, if you have stuff that's like good, like do it. Like that's not, you know, there's a difference between you're flaunting it and another when it's like. You have it, take advantage of it, you know, which was kind of an interesting take on it. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned that because, yeah, just like you, man, I, just, I, I, I had my struggles. I, I loved, and if we can talk about some of the funny things about missions and, and young Well, I've people. got some cringe stories. Uh, I loved the kids who just, like, they never came back when they were back in, in class. Like, who would, like, go whole semesters without wearing shoes or something. You're like. Right. <laughs> yeah i mean you know it does affect some of the stuff does affect you i mean i know for lent one year um i my my lenten fast was i gave up clothes hold on matt i'm gonna explain it um <laughs> i didn't do anything i know i'm was, being thrown under the bus right and left i um what i decided it was one of those things it was um it was actually before i went to thailand but i um i decided that i thought you know I'm going to use Lent as an opportunity to share solidarity with people who are poor. And so I, um, I researched the average change of clothes globally. And the average change of clothes is like, it's like somewhere between two and four. Mm-hmm. So the average person on the planet only has two to four changes of clothes. And, um, that sounds, that, that's, that's me. Yeah. So I packed up, all the rest of my clothes into a box in my closet and I left myself four four changes of clothes. 
and uh, did that for 40 days of Lent. And um, it was, that was something that was like, it was really enlightening and it was something that I had a hard time coming back from. I wear the same outfits over and over now. And now I have a uniform, so that helps. But um, it, it was, but it was very, it was a very enlightening, interesting experience to go through that. Uh, well, in the middle of my I, affluence and privilege here. I, I have to be completely honest, make confession. I instantly wanted to be a jerk during your story. And what did you want to say? Why didn't you leave two pairs? Why did you have to leave four? <laughs> I was like, did I say you four? said two to four. You're like, Sorry. I left myself four pairs. <laughs> I, I, okay, I actually left myself three. I put myself right in the middle. <laughs> and but I, but I allowed myself that if anyone gave me an article of clothing, I'd incorporate that. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, someone bought me a shirt. <laughs> I was totally joking, so. but yes. Go, okay, good. <laughs> but I did, but I did put myself on the wealthier end of the spectrum, <laughs> just because realistically, I had a job that mm-hmm. I had to, I had to deal with, and um, I worked at Banana Republic, so was, I sold clothing. So I had to, I had to dress a certain <laughs> yeah, part to, wear to work clothing, there to sell the clothing. Um, so I, I had to, there were some realizations there, but I know like, um, you know, other friends of mine who, like Keelan, once did forty days with no shoes. That's an interesting story. We'll have to have him tell that on the podcast. Of course, he did. It was awesome. So absolutely no I remember that, yeah. for 40 days because no, no shirt, no shoes, well, no service. Keelan, if you're listening, I'm telling your story. Sorry. What he, what, he, what he found was – so pretty much what he did is he kept a pair of flip-flops in his back pocket all the time. Um, but he generally – you know, Keelan, he dresses pretty nice, you know, collared shirt, jeans, most places, whatever. Um, he found that if you dressed really nice, no one paid attention to your feet or said anything. Mm-hmm. He only got – he only, only had like maybe three times that entire – that entire um, season of Lent had maybe three, only three times that people tell him that he needed to have shoes on. It was like once at Publix, once at a restaurant, and um, and um, somewhere else. I know the restaurant was. I was with him when that happened, and they saw they they, they saw the flip flops in his back pocket and were like, "Are those supposed to be on your feet?" Well, to be fair, this is in Florida where people everyone wears flip flops anyway, right. so they probably you know. <laughs> right. Um, well, I, I, I would switch gears a little bit. I have a question for you guys. This is a question that actually plagued us on the missions planning team, and it was a big problem we were having. What we noticed was that uh, it was very difficult uh, to get men interested in missions. Um, We had no problem getting women. In fact, the team I went to the Philippines, there were only two guys and the rest were women. It was like 13 people. Uh, But do do you think there's a reason behind that? Is there an... It sounds like a consistent church problem in general. I mean... You think so? Yeah, I can, you know, that's, it's just a thing. I mean, the entire history of the church has largely been the place where there, it's, it's been a place for women, where women have been much stronger presence than men. Um, I mean, even though men have been in charge of the thing, typically there have been more women in congregations than men. That's just a, that's just a fact of the church. Some people, by the way, scholars attribute that that because early on the church was one of the few places that would empower women to be independent and do their own thing. But yeah, I you know I so I, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe Matt has some thoughts on it. But Matt has a concerned look on his face. Uh, I mean, I think he has an opinion on this. Uh, no, no, I think that um, it would be a whole another podcast episode for me to start. <laughs> really, to start my opinion. Gender on in church. Um, so I'm just moving so along. You, so, so you, th- but but you you think it's it's sort of an overarching church problem not just missions just um at least uh at least a western american especially problem yes i think that um um it may be maybe and this is totally a maybe maybe it's an ego thing for men um maybe it's a they feel like they're already doing so much they don't need to 
I don't know. I don't know specifics, but I have lots of thoughts on that topic, but we'll save them for another day. It it could be that because so much mission trip advertisement is around the idea of like caring and, you know, nurturing (laughs) type language. And a lot of men just sort of, that's like not their thing. There's There's that macho jock kind of thing that gets, that we get fed, you know, daily as men. I will say though that my, in my church growing up, I think we were, it was about 50-50 split in most cases. I mean, we had a lot of guys go on our mission trips without any problem. But I will say, and this is something I, I kind of did want to talk about about it, is in preparation for mission trips, one of the things I appreciate that my church did, and it concerns me that I see a lot of churches and other organizations not doing, is my church had a very clear, like, it was it was a very clear weeding out process. Um, it was like, if just because you want to go on the trip doesn't mean you're going to go on the trip. Um, right, yeah. My youth pastor overall said, you're going to be a missionary if you're not where you need to be spiritually, if you're not where you're meant to be. You know, if, you know, if God doesn't want you on that trip, you are not supposed to go on that trip or try. And so, like, he had this really strict policy. Like, we would start out almost every year with maybe close to 60 people wanting to go on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. And we would have to whittle that thing down to, like, 20, like 15, 20 people because – you know, that's just how it worked. And so we had this really vigorous, we had to keep a notebook. We had to go to church three times a week, take notes, show notes. We had to evangelize four times a week, show evidence of people we evangelized um, here in, at the state. Um, we had to keep a daily um, prayer journal and Bible reading log that we had to show every mission planning trip that we went on. I mean, a really rigorous type stuff in order to prepare. A, plus, we had to have all of our shots and all this kind of stuff. And, and we also had to raise we had to send out so many support letters and they had to be, they could not be from our families. They had to be, you know, we had to send out, we had to raise our own money. If we couldn't raise the money, we didn't go on the trip. The, the church wasn't just going to pay for it for us. Right. Um, and I really appreciated that because it, it made it very serious and that everyone who went on the trip pretty much understood that why we were going and what we were there for. And so I think it, it, it helped alleviate some of the problems that we see in some of the other mission, short-term mission trips that we've talked about is... You know, people were there, and we were pretty on a pretty pretty much on the same page what we were doing. But and that's not an indictment for what you and, and what you guys did in your MPT group. Oh, I I, I mean, I I I, I indict most of the things that we did. Um. Okay, well then you can. That's fine. <laughs> uh, let's talk about prayer labyrinths, Chuck. Let's. <laughs> uh, you, you're baiting me for that one, Chuck. Do you have any um, disaster stories? Any mission trip disaster stories? Uh, that you could share with us. I don't know about disaster stories. I mean, I do have a, a there's a pretty cringy moment where, um, it's awkward moments. We were in Jamaica and we were on a bus and we had, um, a bunch of, we had a, a we were, I think we we're going to a beach. We, we did like one vacation day. And so we had a bunch of these Jamaican students in the bus with us. And one of the girls on the trip looks at, at, at the students. And I hear the, the question come out of her mouth. Have you ever seen cool runnings? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. See, you know, that feels like something I would ask back then. But mostly just... I, I think you would have asked it out of curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> there is one story that always kind of struck me. Um, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to a friend of mine. Uh, she frequented uh, Bolivia, both on spring break and over the summer. She would stay the entire summer, and then she'd go over spring break. And... Um, there was a, a a rather famous church that traveled to her orphanage from West Palm Beach. I'll just say it was Christ Fellowship. Yeah, just say it. Christ Fellowship sent a team to her orphanage that she was staying that she was helping with over the summer, and um, 
apparently it was just terrible. And I don't remember everything that happened with everything she described, but I, I do remember um, every time they would feed them, they would eat very little. And then once everyone would go to bed or something or they'd call it a day, this uh, the Crest Fellowship team would uh, run away to Papa John's and eat pizza. They, they would basically they, they wouldn't eat any of the food that was offered to them. Uh, and, you know, the, the, this food is in rare, rare supply. Right. You know, it's 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 in, you know, that culture. Anyway, yeah. when they left, uh, when they left, they wanted to give the children uh, presents. And the presents they got the children were American flag bandanas. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and you know what's funny? I visited Christ Fellowship's website once that year, and I saw a picture of some Bolivian kids wearing American flag bandanas on their website. It's like one of our slides or something. I like the food thing. I mean, the food thing is something we really could have talked about because oh yeah, I've, yeah, I've eaten some food, my friend. Oh, I, like my like my youth pastor growing up instilled in me: you eat whatever they put in front of you. Yes, he says, I don't. He well, used to tell us, I don't care if you well, have to throw it up later. You know, it's funny. It. You know, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I had that philosophy too, Chuck. Uh, but then I learned that some cultures, um, if you don't eat and if you don't want to eat anything, you shouldn't because they will keep feeding you until you get sick. Right. That happened to me in the Philippines. I did not know. <laughs> they, they were debating. In fact, it happened so much. They were debating on letting a team back because they eat so much food. I don't understand. <laughs> But we didn't know that the culture was um, if you eat everything on the plate, they're going to keep filling a plate up until you stop eating. Right. Yeah. The, the uh, uh, Thailand had some of that. But no, I mean, I eat dung beetles, man. Oh. Like they put dung beetles in front of me and I ate them. I ate cat in China. I did it. It happened. Meow. <laughs> I didn't know it was cat uh, in my defense. Yeah. I uh, someone offered me ribs. It looked a little weird. I'm like these don't look like I'm from Texas. These do not look like the ribs I eat in Texas. But you cat ribs, yeah, that's kind of awesome. I mean, they told me they were ribs. I don't know if they were. Uh, so I, but I mean, they ribs they are did. pretty easy to, to figure out. I mean, I don't know. They, they, <laughs> the, like this, they, they, they told me they were. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they did. They're ribs. There was a hair on one. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not <laughs> not joking. There was a hair on one, and just kind of you know pulled it out of my mouth. <laughs> Later that day, the national that we were with, American girl comes up to me. She's like, I didn't want to say anything because <laughs> you were, we were in front of people. And I don't want to embarrass you. And I didn't want you to freak out. But those quote unquote ribs you're eating was cat. I was like, oh, uh, I'm glad you didn't say anything <laughs> because I would have spit it out. Now I have to go throw up. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. I bet it was delicious. It was good. <laughs> Everything I ate in China was amazing. Um, and the only thing I, I, I refused to eat, and it was okay because it was just like a more of like a dare anyway, in the Philippines was uh, blood pudding. Have you heard of blood pudding? Uh, yes, I have. Matt, are you familiar with blood pudding? Well, No, not familiar. For our listeners, blood yes. pudding is uh, basically an egg uh, with the uh, fetus still inside it. And what you do is you tap it open, you, you tap it a few times, you crack it open, and you you drink the the juice that is inside the egg, and then you pull out the fetus, and you 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 you, you go to town, you go yep. to town, and they call it blood pudding because there's some cartilage in that in that in that little chicken. 
yep. that you are tiring, and it cuts your mouth a little bit. Ah, causes the bleed. They were uh, they were they, they did that with duck eggs in Thailand. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it, one was offered to me, and I and I said no thanks. I didn't know what it was beforehand. I'm just not a generally an egg eater anyway. So when the guy said he wants some eggs, I'm like, I'm all right, thank you. And then I saw what he was eating. I was like, oh, I'm really glad I said no. Yeah, Chuck. One of my favorite stories of yours that I actually I, I still tell people about was they they kept offering you foods, and then you you and Keelan decided to make them American food. <laughs> yes, that was Th- awesome. And you you made them grilled cheese and tomato soup, right? Grilled cheese, tomato soup, and French fries. Yep. Yeah, and they like almost threw up or something, right? <laughs> no, the uh, this was a this was a, a really great cultural moment when I realized that when I realized that food that I think is exotic from yeah. like Thailand, India, whatever is actually comfort food for them. And okay. so comfort food for us can be weird and exotic to them. Yeah. Um, and to me, like the idea of like how weird it was that grilled cheese, tomato soup, and French fries is strange. Um, <laughs> they'd had French fries at McDonald's and stuff over there. But what was interesting is they were peeling off the we, – we made um, – we just chopped up potatoes and fried them up in some oil. They were peeling the skins off mm-hmm. of the potatoes. They wouldn't eat the potato skin. Because it was underground, like the, the potato skin is in the dirt, so they don't eat in the dirt. I'm like, you guys eat bugs. Like, I watch you eat bugs, dung beetles, in fact, bugs that eat poop, <laughs> and you you won't eat the skin of the potato. But the tomato soup was the thing that really got them. Like, we watched this one guy. His name was Boy, and uh, we watched him. Keelan, I still love telling the story. We watched him take a sip of the soup. He kind of looks to the left, looks to the right, and then like crouch down, dips out of the room, like just disappears. <laughs> And just leaves like this pot of soup. And so like, we talked to our translator later about it. And she was like, yeah, you know, we're not used to eating like really acidic things like that. And uh, so it was really weird for them. And the grilled cheese, you know, they, they don't eat just cheese. Cheese is not a very common thing for them. So it was just, yeah, they, they, they thought it was kind of gross and weird. That's really funny. But yeah, watching guys that I watch eat like, you know, fetal ducks, crickets plucked right off the sidewalk and thrown into a, into a fryer, dung beetles. You know, scorpion, snake, all of that. They would not yeah. eat grilled cheese, tomato soup. <laughs> that is weird. Uh, I have seen I have seen scorpions on a stick. I always wanted to try that. Kana had that when she was in China. She said it was very good. Kana's really? my wife. For the listeners who don't know that, yeah, she Kana's a pretty exotic eater. Actually, she'll she'll try almost anything. I forgot she lived in China for a while, right? She did. She did. Yeah, that's cool. Matt, do you have any uh, any any funny stories about? Going overseas, any cringy stories? I don't. I don't totally understand the concept of um, fun on a missions trip. (laughs) (laughs) So you've never had fun on a missions trip? Is that what you're saying? I'm. I'm not allowed to go back. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's not a joke. But well, well, uh, maybe someday I'll address all that on the podcast, (laughs) guys. Guys. Can Did you get ha- kicked out of the country? No, not the country. Because your church won't let you go back? Um, school. School, PBA? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it doesn't matter. You, you don't have to go down and give your... They created new rules. <laughs> to keep. Um, no, I made the mistake of actually talking to a Muslim student. Um, okay. And we had a great conversation. Uh, however, somebody told somebody else that I was biblically abrasive. Was the word used? <laughs> I know. Everybody abrasive? I taught to loves that term. Oh, that's um, a good term. That's so a good PK I, term, too. It's great. I was told that Can I was... Can we name this episode that? I was told that I was biblically abrasive. Um, one person at the school in particular, who is in a, we'll just say, a high-up position, uh, fought for me to go the next year because they were like, no, he, he's going. 
over the wishes of somebody who called me biblically abrasive. Right. That person who called me biblically abrasive, uh, the next year became the higher up and changed the rules so that a husband cannot go on a trip. Wow. So there's a, obviously a lot more of a story there, but I am not here to cast uh, negative yeah, views yeah. of other people. Um, but yeah, apparently talking to a Muslim student about his beliefs and my beliefs and how I felt his beliefs um, had things I could learn from them and then why I felt what I believed also had like a core to what he was talking about um, was biblically abrasive. I, I, I want to parse this term. What does that even yeah, mean? You know, I, oh, I've well, never we, figured it out. I've been yeah. dwelling on it for nine years, and I it don't just, know what it means. Which is so funny. Like, I'm, I'm still, you know, the, I guess there are different missions departments. I mean, the, the department I worked for was the missions department at PBA. If anyone in my department that I worked with, anyone that was over me or under me, or that I work at all. Like, if we had heard that, Matt, we would be like totally in your favor. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if this was, and if this person was like, he's being biblically abrasive. I, me, and my and my friends, my colleagues would have laughed that person out of the room. But yes, okay. if, if you go to PBA, we love PBA. If yeah, if saying- we have PBA listeners, um, what advice would you guys impart on uh, uh, our young listeners? Who have never been on a mission trip, who, who are debating, maybe do a mission trip. Maybe they've heard about this stuff, haven't really given much thought. Would you say anything to, to our young listeners, our young woke, our young woke AF millennials? Uh, <laughs> Abercrombie and Fitch? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> about, about going on a short-term mission. Is there anything you would say? I would say do it. Um, but I would say take a lot of care and preparation in it. Don't just go... Like on the big trips that like all your buddies are going on because, you know, especially like at PBA, there were like those two trips that were like always the ones that everyone went on and they were primarily fun. You know, like there was a go surfing in Costa Rica trip or, you know, like I know when we were there. a very popular trip. Yeah. Well, I know when we were there, I think a lot of people went to, um, I think it was Brazil. There was like, that was like a huge trip to Brazil. And that was the one that like, I remember like friends of mine who were in no way, shape or form Christian going on mission trips, which really concerned me. Um, I don't know if those are the kind of trips now, but you know, pay attention to those. You know, I would say look for the ones that there's less that there are there are fewer people signed up for, um, because there's something really really um, exciting about going with a small group, and that will really stretch you um, as a person. And if you go in with it, and as Matt says, go in with it a um, pilgrimage mindset. Um, I think you have a better chip. Excuse me. I think you have a better chance of um, having a really rich experience of Jesus in that um, in that context. But I think it's the there are a few things that can be better for the spiritual life um, for a young, privileged American than to get outside their comfort zone and to um, and to try to proclaim the gospel in a different place and to learn about people in a different place and to see how Jesus is at work there. That, you know, Jesus does stuff outside of the, the you know, the, the shopping mall-esque megachurches that we right. that we all know and, and, and maybe us experience. Hey, you want an eye-opening experience? Go to China to experience the underground church. Yeah, there you go. That's kind of scary. Uh, Matt, do you have any advice, any wisdom, anything, any any opinion you might want to share with our, our young? I would just pretty much have to echo Father Chuck, especially since he already referenced me. <laughs> <laughs> I stole yeah, your line. I, uh, 
Yeah, I would definitely. Kids stole my line. I would definitely say go. If you get the opportunity, take it and go. Um, I would say when you're in, when you're in whatever country you go to, make your mindset service and make it about serving the people there in whatever way that that is. However, do not allow anybody to discourage or talk poorly about the idea that it is also for you um, and view that aspect of it as the pilgrimage. Um, And kind of the way, as we're talking about it, kind of a, here's my kind of thought on it, Um, just to put it this way, uh, when it comes to short-term missions trips and the idea of a pilgrimage and what does that mean and what does that look like, for some reason it keeps bringing to my mind that Jesus is asked what the the most important commandment it is. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then he said the second is like unto it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the love your neighbor part of it we get and we talk about in churches, we don't talk about love yourself in churches very much and what that means and how um, I believe that's where you have to start. You have to start with an understanding of love yourself before you can love your neighbor. And for further for further study on this, um, there's this great book called Fix Me, Love Them, written by, <laughs> um, written by this guy named Matt Wells. Um, you can find it on Amazon. The Matt Wells? The Matt it's, Wells. You know what? It's a, it's a perfect book um, to read on a plane crossing the Atlantic. Crossing the Atlantic to go on a mission trip. Yeah. And it's, it's light, so if you want to pack really light, um, you can slip right in a little pocket. Right. You can read it multiple times. But here, I will give you the, the short Reader's Digest version of my book. Um, loving yourself, I believe, from a biblical Christian point of view, to love myself is to view myself entirely through Christ and through the worth that he places on me, through the purpose that he gives me, and through the fact that I am then allowed to glorify God. Um, Then to love my neighbor is to point out their worth, their purpose. Um, And I would say, I say all that to say, the missions aspect of it is they love your neighbor but don't let anybody downplay the pilgrimage aspect, which is love yourself. Go on this trip to serve other people, to focus on helping them, but also don't allow anybody to say that it is a bad thing to go on this trip to reflect on yourself, your walk with God, and um, to allow it to make a change in you also. Amen. (laughs) Well, um... Do you guys have any questions for me? I mean, cause <laughs> I'm pretty, I was pretty involved. And, you know. What? So, JP, you had what like. What would you say so in your young, woke, Abercrombie Fitch, millennial <laughs> Christians? I mean, All right, you listen, went on like 90 listen, missions trips, JP. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what to do. All right. I'm not, I'm not your dad. But I will give you some tips. If you want to. If you want a short-term missions the JP way, a here's term? some tips. Uh, show up to every briefing drunk. <laughs> step one. Uh, step two, uh, fi- find a totem. A totem is an object that you personalize and wear it on every trip you go to. For me, it was a bandana, aviators, and a compass watch. So that's, that's, that's three totems. Well, they counted as one, Chuck. A totem if you have, has several faces on top. Oh, of Oh, good each point. Other. Good point. Okay. Well, um, this this bandana, is an important list. Sunglasses, watch. They were stacked. It is a totem. Okay, gotcha. by definition. It's, it's, <laughs> it's also a very important lesson in branding. Um, it's going to come in handy. Uh, step three: 
Um, find the most dangerous trip out of the list of the trips, the most dangerous country, and, and commit to that one. Don't go to Bolivia to paint kids' faces or whatever. All right? No, no. <laughs> that's not what missions is all about. Have we cued you gotta the music be dangerous. yet? <laughs> Listen, if you tell your parents where you're going and they don't, like, start crying or start calling the school and don't start calling the school to harass the missions department about why they're offering these dangerous trips to their students, you're doing something wrong, okay? That's not how you missions trip the JP way. <laughs> Though, and that's fair, all the time we have. <laughs> though, to be fair, depending on the kind of parent you have, going to, like, Jamaica may also set off that kind of... Um, and uh, your, your teammates, make them your best friends. That's all. That, that, that's how you do it the JP way. Wait, I have a problem. What? All that crap you just said. I wasn't on any of those teams. What are you saying? What are you saying? Oh, Back it up. What are you saying? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't Back on it those up. teams. Back it up. Either. I didn't... I didn't go on a mission. Back it up. JP. We well, weren't okay. on your Here's mission teams. This was uh, this was a satirical piece. We're not okay. his best friends. <laughs> this was a satirical piece. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. We're not his best friends. Oh, no, hold on. Technically, are we on a mission trip right now? Oh, jeez. Is Masters of Divinity? It's our mission. <laughs> a mission. <laughs> the people group that we that we reach out to are nerds. They need Jesus too, man. <laughs> For real, though, my my actual advice to to young people interested in missions. Um. Just don't be afraid. That's it. Just do do what you think is going to be awesome. And, you know, it's kind of funny that I say that because all throughout my missions career in college was all about I'm not doing it because it's cool. I'm not doing it because it's fun. No, that was a huge part of it. Most of the reason why I did missions is because of how awesome it was. Like, it, it changed me as a person. I'm not who I am today. Uh, I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't go to those places. It's a huge learning experience, and you have no idea what's going to happen. You may impact every single person you meet. You may not have a single impact on anybody. But I think what's important is um, that you just you just do something with your life. Make an adventure. Don't listen to people that say it's not an adventure because it totally is. I mean, I was in Damascus. Was I supposed to say I'm, this is not an adventure when I was standing in the streets of old the old city of Damascus, when I was standing on top of the Great Wall of China. <laughs> no, did right. you did you not know, JP, that um, missions and enjoyment are enemies? No, of you, course. You should be miserable the whole time. Yes, if you enjoyed it or you had any aspect of fun, which is why I'm ashamed of the two of you, and you're, there's funny experiences we had on mission trips, then you weren't on mission trips. You don't have fun on missions trips. We were on missions tourism. You? Yeah, how tourism. dare you? <laughs> mission tourist <laughs> trips. What, what was it called? Mission tourism? Mission tourism. Mission tourism. Yeah, <laughs> the term people use for it, yeah, for some of it. But go. Just go. If you're like, I don't care about any of this stuff, um, go anyway. If you get the chance, go. We all, I think, agree. These were beneficial parts of our life, and we all took something different from them. Um, sometimes we took the same things away from them, but they, they were great experiences that I believe are worth having. So just go, because if you don't care about any of this mission stuff, what you might find out is, um, they will do the missions work and you'll be the one changed by it. And plus you could, there's also got a benefit of, probably the main benefit of having the opportunity to positively impact and change someone else's world for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. do you, you guys think about I'm a good person, or <laughs> mm. you should follow? There's a there's an Instagram account. It's called like um, 
Is it called Privilege? <laughs> Privilege Barbie? It's a send up of the idea of like Barbie going on like a short term mission trip, and it is <laughs> it is scathing. It wow. is a scathing satire of a lot but, of white people on these kinds of things. But I'm I'm not like that, right? Like I'm not. <laughs> no, JP, you're cool, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not. I'm. I mean, am I? You're better than all of us. Just it, 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 you're better. You're a better person than all of us. That's. <laughs> well, now you're now you're just being mean. Like, I'm not Tommy trying to be sanctimony. I just want to know if I'm, I'm a good person. How amazing just, it is! You are a good person, JP. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yes. I, I appreciate that. You're welcome. You've done really good things. Just flipping through the yearbooks recently as I was unpacking, and I saw pictures of you doing all your mission trips. I, you did. I, I was very I, proud of you. Very proud of you. Good. I love PBA. <laughs> I, I would, Why were you so nervous? I, I would it. be. I would be. I'd be proud if my daughter or son went there someday. Well, they're going to go to Harvard, though. So. Oh, I mean, yeah. Unless they get into like Harvard. <laughs> Sorry, PBA, but. <laughs> or, I know they, that. I if know they that, get into Harvard and they choose PBA, we're going to have some serious discussion. I know, about I know that Chuck wants to send his kids to a region. <laughs> Anyway, that is all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, join us next week. Inhaling Sharpies, not that big of a deal. Smoking Smarties, the new high. <laughs> I don't know. We should try smoking Smarties. I don't know. No. Don't, don't, no. <laughs> Join us next week as we talk about why no one should follow JP's advice and why. <laughs> uh, Father Chuck, thank you so much. Uh, Matt Wells. Matt Wells, thank you as well. Uh, enjoy us next week. Goodbye and good journey. Good journey. Good journey.